Lord, help me right now. Amen. I want to. I want to just. I want us to have a few meditation meditations on the word revival. When that word comes to mind, what do you what do you think of immediately? And and if somebody asks you, I've heard I heard Paul Washer one time talk about America needs revival. So what does that mean? Can you tell me? Could you tell them? Alright, so I grew up in the era where my Southern Baptist Church would have a fall revival and a what? Spring revival. Bring in the big shot evangelist. He wants to get at least a hundred decisions. Santa gave him another invitation to come preach. Nobody knew, had, didn't have a clue what revival meant. And never read about it, never seen it. And so we got to define our terms and we got to be clear up here. I'm going to... Uh, I'm just going to talk about s- some the realities of what revival kind of is, some pictures of it and characteristics briefly and that will help us to pray more wisely, more biblically for it. Um, so, with that being said, by way of introduction, let's read two verses from the Psalms, two different Psalms. So turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. And both of these verses speak to the nature of what biblical revival is, okay? Psalm 110, verse 3, it's the first phrase. Look what it says. Your people or thy people shall be willing in what? The day of your power. Thy people shall become willing in a day of your power. So just picture this. Do Christians always obey perfectly? Do, do, do biblical churches, are they always obeying the Lord perfectly? Are we always willing consistently? No, we're not. But this verse says, in a day of God's power, when that comes, suddenly God's people are willing. They just respond. Right? And so, that that's a picture of what happens when revival comes. Alright? So, Go back to Psalm 102 and you'll see another verse, verse 13. It talks about God having having a set time. Psalm 110, no, 102, verse 13. Just let let this sink in. David is praying here an inspired prayer that is a perfect prayer. Look what he prays. You will arise. You, thou shalt arise and have mercy upon who? Okay. What does Zion represent in the New Testament? God's people. It's the church. You know, um, I think at the end of Galatians it says, um, Paul talks about the true Israel of God. 
Well, he's talking about the church. He's got to be talking about the church. So anyway, when you see Zion in the Old Testament reference, in the Old Testament, that's Jerusalem, Mount Zion. In the New Testament, Paul and Peter says spiritually that means the people of God, the New Covenant people, the church. So anyway, notice what he says. You will arise and have mercy upon Zion for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. All right, now follow me here. I shared with Kyle earlier today that uh, I was reading one day and I was reading a, a commentary on, on this psalm and the commentator said a set time was a picture of when, when God established the festivals and the feast days in Israel. There were set times on the, on the, the calendar of, of the nation. Those couldn't be altered. There were set times those, those events were going to happen. And he said that's the concept here. There are set times on God's calendar when He's going to arise and come and bless Zion. The set time here, He says, is come. Remember in Acts 3.17, it says, God sends seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. So, these are the two springboard texts. I gave them to you because I want you to remember them and and just realize these psalms speak about this reality of revival. Um, so, you know the word reformation. How would you define it to someone? Or how would you define revival? Let me, let me clarify the meanings briefly so we, we can kind of think better. Reformation and revival really do have different meanings even out of biblical theology. And they have different meanings in church history. So think, of, think with me now. <clears throat> Revival is a spiritual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's experiential. It's a, a thunderstorm breaking out of spiritual rain from heaven. God's presence is poured out. It's not happening and suddenly there's a cloud burst, God's presence, and the Spirit of God is coming down like rain. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, Acts chapter 2. Yeah. And the Spirit wasn't being poured out. Suddenly 3,000 Jews are converted one day. You know, in America, there's 3,000 sermons and maybe one person converted. Yeah. Day of Pentecost when the Spirit's poured out, one sermon, 3,000 are converted. Later, 4,000. Later, 5,000. That only happens when there's an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Revival is an event. It's supernatural. It's uh, seasonal. Revival is not meant to come and continue. Like rain, it's going to come and happen and it'll cease. You with me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> revivals start and they stop. Revivals have a beginning and they have an ending. Reformation is not seasonal. Reformation is not a spiritual experience. Reformation is not 
an event that starts and stops. Revivals are supernatural and miraculous and an experience. Reformation is not supernatural and miraculous and an experience. From this standpoint, Reformation is always going on in a Christian's life in the life of a biblical church. Give me an example. The Bible says, God is at work in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. That's always happening. You're growing as a Christian when you feel encouraged and you, you're excited and you know you're growing. You're growing as a Christian when you're discouraged and you don't feel God's presence and you don't think anything's happening. You're growing inside. You're still growing. The Holy Spirit is in you and there is life happening. You can't not be growing as a Christian by the very nature of you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But uh, you do know when God, God's presence is near and you're kind of revived and encouraged. You know when that happens. But you don't always know when you're, that you're growing, but you are always growing. Why? Because reformation is happening. Meaning, reformation is an ongoing process of an individual being changed into the into conformity with God's Word. Now, let me ask you a question. How long have you been a Christian? Three years. Three years. How long have you been a Christian? Ten. Ten. Who's been a Christian 40 years in here? 40 years? 40? You've been more than 40. Seven. All right. My point is this. Can you see that you've grown in your in your walk? If you're a real Christian, you can see that you've grown. If you can't see any growth, you may not be spiritually alive. The point is, reformation of your life being conformed to this book has been a process that's ongoing. Now, can any of you remember when revival ever came to Benton or to Mayfield. Anybody ever know of a historic outpouring of the Spirit that happened here? Ever? I think there was one in Paducah about 100 years ago. But here, Solid Rock Baptist Church is planted in what year? 2015. 15. You know what I think? I think from the beginning of this church starting, there has been an ongoing, consistent, healthy reformation of this church that has never stopped. I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet. I've been here how many times? Two? Twice? He'll only put up with me once a decade. But I think, I think I'm right on what I just said. This church, God has been reforming this church since it started. The church is more mature and more biblical and more prayerful than when I was here eight years ago. 
You get my point? Revival happens and it stops. Reformation, if a church believes God's Word seriously and is committed to practicing it in our own walk, in worship, in biblical ministry, a church is going to be reforming continually and never it, the Holy Spirit won't ever cease it. Alright? So, um, with that being said, let me just think about, let's think about revival tonight because we know now, don't we, that the government, cultural change, uh, there is no hope for America except a God-sent revival. Amen. We know that's true. And so let's talk about the what's the importance we should attach to the theme of revival in our day. Revival, Jonathan Edwards says, is God's primary means often of extending His kingdom throughout history. Now think about this. Jerusalem is apostate Judaism in Jesus' day, right? Twice dead, plucked up by the roots, deader than Hitler's grandmother. Really, absolutely apostate gone. And the day of Pentecost, you know, all these people have come to worship. Uh, And the day starts out a normal day. Before the end of the day, the entire city is shaken by the power of God. And there's 3,000 new believers in Jesus. And the, the New Testament church is birthed. God, he, he doesn't need to lift a finger to save New York City or Nashville or Chicago or London. He, it's nothing with Him to do a work of, of uh, a mighty movement. So throughout history... There have been seasons and times when revival comes and thousands are birthed into the kingdom quickly. Remember in Acts, 2,000? 3,000? And I said it, I think 4,000 later, and then 5,000. And then Luke says, a great number of the priests were added to the faith. When you get preachers saved, you really got a revival happening. <laughs> a great number of the the priests in Jerusalem were ushered into the kingdom. Could have been some of them that were calling for this imposter Jesus of Nazareth to be crucified. Anyway, my point is, Edward said revival is God's throughout church history is often a way of God accelerates and extends His kingdom in big ways to keep the kingdom getting built. Alright. So revival is a subject of extreme importance. Now, let me give, give you a few characteristics of true revival. Five features, five marks. That if you don't have these, you don't really have revival. Uh, Number one, when there's a movement of the Holy Spirit, there's an awareness of God's presence and His majesty. 
and awareness of God's presence. Have any of you ever been in a service or a conference or even in prayer and it's just status quo, nothing on but suddenly God's presence comes and you're gripped and you're arrested and you know God's near and you're kind of in awe and you know He's near. That's what we're talking about. When the Spirit of God comes and descends, you are aware of God's presence in a fresh, intimate way. You know He's near. Just like if you come out of Walmart, <laughs> Lydia and Bella and uh, Kyla, they said today, we're, we're going to Walmart. I looked at them real serious and I said, Walmart? What's Walmart? I've never heard it. And they went, <laughs> so, so you walk out of Walmart one day, it's cloudy and looks like storms are gathering. You walk in and nothing's happening. You don't have an umbrella. You walk out, you're walking to your car and there's a cloud burst and you get drenched. You run and get in the car. When the Spirit of God is poured out, people get drenched that weren't wet before that. His presence comes and you are aware of the presence of God. That is a mark of true revival. Now in Acts 5, um, when Ananias and Sapphira were, were killed in church, I, it's it's a funny. I, I say it's not funny, but it is funny <laughs> in a way. It's unique. Imagine your your two greeters in church that day, or your two deacons that you know take up the offering, and Peter's preaching. And he stops and says, Why don't you lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, two men are going to carry your body out. And then Peter says, uh, You know, Bill and Darren, y'all, y'all come carry him out. And they carry him out and they bury him. <clears throat> That's what the Bible says. Would they have not had a sense of the fear of God? What just happened? Mm-hmm. They go out <clears throat> and guess what? Sapphira comes in several hours later. Peter says, Hey, that's, that's in the Greek. How, how much did y'all, how much was that land deal for? She said, They've already carried your husband out. She's dying. You guys that carried him out, come get her. The two guys, maybe not the same two guys, carried her out. I bet those guys walking back in were staring at each other thinking, who's next? Mm-hmm. And, and it says then, great fear came upon the community. Yeah. And, and no one dared to join themselves to them. They, nobody would jump on the bandwagon. But then it says right after that, but multitudes were saved. Many came to the Lord. That's what happens when revival is poured out. And that's why it's so important to pray for it. Um, Duncan Campbell, who saw revival in Scotland in 1949-50, he said later, this awareness of God in the church is the crying need in the church today. 
John Wesley, New Year's Day, 1739, they were having an all-night prayer meeting, basically. I think it was in London. And Wesley said, The Lord came down among us. We were struck silent for a space of time, and we were overwhelmed by His majesty. I was in Romania one year with Charles Leiter, a St. Louis pastor, Bob Jennings, Paul Washer, and we had had we were we were going to have a prayer prayer time in one of our rooms before dinner, and then the evening service. And it was just plan, you know, let's get together and pray. We started praying, and suddenly, all of us were under conviction. Not about sin necessarily, but God's presence just filled the room. Mm-hmm. And we were soon all on our faces in tears. I didn't even know what to pray. I was scared, but I was comforted by God's presence. Mm-hmm. Paul Washer, now do y'all don't repeat this. <laughs> don't don't we post this word wrong. God will get you if you do. <laughs> He won't mind me telling this, but he doesn't want it posted. I'm serious. He won't mind me telling you because he trusts me and he knows your pastor. But here's what happened. Charles, you. Next time Charles Lighter comes here, you get him over in the corner and you 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 tell him. You know, Brother Mac told us when y'all were praying in Romania and in the room and God came in that prayer meeting, He said Paul Washer really went through something and Charles will say, he'll shake his head. So here's what happened. Paul begins to groan. And he can't even express things. And then he starts sounding like a woman who's having the worst contractions. He's not screaming loud, but he's he's crying and and he's broken down. And then he moves into another realm of... It was almost like you were afraid he was going to have a heart attack. And this went on. And we were all in our own little world. The Spirit of God filled that room so mightily. We lost track of time. And we weren't even thinking about each other. We were just aware of God's presence. And I think we prayed through... We missed the dinner. And then... We went to the service just quiet. We didn't say a word to each other. So, Wesley said, the Lord came down among us and we were struck silent. That's what happened to us in Romania. I'll give you another story. The second Sunday of March, 2020. Remember what started right in February or March in 2020? Yes. Michael Durham was preaching for us. He, we just put him in to preach. Whenever we trust him, we'll let him try the pulpit out. <laughs> I tease him so much. I wish y'all could see it sometimes. <laughs> and you know, he'll 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 just be particular about this and about that. I'll say, Durham, you know what a perfectionist you are. You just gotta you gotta grow up. You gotta. <laughs> And 
and he's so serious minded he doesn't know if I'm teasing him or exhorting him and he's kind of speechless and then I'll grin at him <laughs> anyway <clears throat> Michael's preaching it's the last Sunday we meet in March before we take a break for five weeks to to see how we're going to respond to this chaos, what's true, what's not true, who do we listen to, you know, all that stuff. We had five weeks off. So Michael's preaching. I don't remember the text. I don't remember the sermon. And it wasn't anything to write home about. The first 40, first 75% of the sermon. But as he proceeded, suddenly I sensed God's hand is on him more. And I sense I, different ones were feeling God, God's here. So he proceeds preaching, and there's more of a fragrance of God in the room, and there's more of a sense of utterance he has. And when he finishes, he's just silent, and there is an awe in the room, and he sits down. So I'm the oldest of these five elders and I said, okay. <laughs> I said to myself, these, these brothers of mine, they're not going to quite know what to do. So it's on me. And I didn't know what to do. <laughs> so I'm sitting there praying and then... So I get up and say, I think it was me. I said, look... <laughs> Yeah, you're going to say that more and more as you get older. <laughs> you, better not, you better not laugh at me. Your day's coming, boy. <laughs> so I got up and I said, Brethren, the Lord's here. Let's just, let's just be silent and wait on Him. Yeah. I sit down and nobody moves. And soon, here's what happened. A sister over here, a young married woman, stands up just with tears, she starts praying with an anointing of the Holy Spirit. She's in touch with God. And there was no flesh whatsoever going on in her praying. She was praying in the Spirit. And people around the room just began to pray quietly. She sits down another sister in the Lord, stands up praying the same way. And it started. Sit down, stand up. Sit down, stand up. And God's moving. People are just waiting on the Lord. And then different ones began to stand up. And there was eight or nine people that with tremendous uh, transparency, humility, and reality just began to confess. Not improper things in public, but real I've just been so far away from the Lord and lately it's all been a sham. I need Him so much. I need Him so much. It was that kind of thing. One would confess. Now, the women were leading us that day. Uh, they had grace and humility and a sense of tenderness. None of the guys stepped forward first. Then they started doing it too. And I don't know how long it was the prayer, the confession, the testimony. But I got back up and I said, when it kind of subsided, I got up, back up and I said, anyone else want to share? And then guys took off doing it again. 
And uh, when we sensed that the Lord had nothing else to say, we, we closed the service. But time stood still, and God came that day. And, uh, and then we realized later, in one sense, this was a, a preparatory moment for us to go into COVID. And the nearness of God was our good that day. So, um, I gotta, I gotta hurry on. So, the presence of God is a mark of of the Holy Spirit coming. Second characteristic: responsiveness to God's word. When God is moving, believers respond. They have a tender conscience. They have an eager hunger to respond more than normal times when He's not moving. Uh, Because of the authority of the Word, the Spirit's presence coming brings real response. Thy people shall be willing in a day of Your power. He brings this. He moves men to respond to it. There's no new truths, but only old truth ministered in fresh power that comes home to us with power. And it's like God just spoke to me. Well, anytime the Bible is preached and taught accurately, He has spoken. But sometimes it never comes like an arrow to your heart. And you're just gripped and your 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 inner thoughts are exposed. And like the Bible says, all things are naked and open unto the God with whom we have to do. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than it. Any two is sort of piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So when God comes and his presence is manifested through the word and the truth, he just rips us open. We can't hide anything. And there's a responsiveness then to God's truth. Um, so many examples of that. In the Bible, as you, when you see the Spirit poured out in the Old Testament, and a prophet prophesies, the Spirit's poured out. The people respond always. That Peter preaches in the power of the Spirit, and they cried out. See, so there's a responsiveness. Um, and the third characteristic, when revival, there's a heightened sensitivity to sin. If you're not walking with God and the Spirit is not really present, you can be harboring bitterness, anger, lust, pride, and your conscience isn't greatly sensitive to it. You're kind of just coasting along. When God's presence comes to you, you become convicted of sin that you hadn't even been seen. And it grieves you. And you want to repent of it right away. Because God's presence is there and your senses are heightened. There's a sensitivity to sin. Alright. Fourth characteristic. Godliness, when the Spirit's poured out and revival comes, godliness in Christians is accelerated and increased. 
Here's a guy, he's a true Christian. He struggles and he's inconsistent in Bible reading and he's inconsistent in church and he's just not living evenly in a, in a healthy spiritual manner. But God comes in a meeting or comes to him in prayer and the Spirit's poured out on him. He's transformed. He becomes consistent. He grows more than ever. Man, what's happened to you? Your walk is, is transformed. Uh, I remember a year ago that you never praised God. That you were always down. You were always discouraged. And look at you. You're one of the most encouraging brothers in the church now. God's at work in you. And what's happened? Well, the Spirit of God has produced a new work and His growth has accelerated suddenly. And so, we had seven weeks of 104 to 114 degrees this summer in, in, in Texas. No rain. My grass died. It's dead, dead. And so, uh, we were gone a lot. But the point is, if we had rains all summer, it would have remained fresh and renewed and lived. So brethren, why does Luke eleven thirteen say this? Why does it say this? He's talking to His disciples. Who are, are the disciples really regenerate already before Pentecost? Anybody? No. Huh? Okay. She says no. I say they were, and they were given the Holy Spirit, the sound of a mighty wind, okay. in extra measure. Okay. All right. Did everybody hear that? Mm-hmm. Let me give a systematic theology. All right. Biblical theology statement. I studied. I studied the Holy Spirit for twenty years. Not because I'm bright, but because I wasn't bright. And I had to labor out these things. Because there's, there's more confusion on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in the American church than probably any other area. So, I came to see through reading John Owen and Edwards and Ian Murray and uh, Bunyan and reading their writings, I came to realize the Bible does teach that every Old Testament saint, by the, natu- by the nature of fact that they knew the Lord and their sins were forgiven and they had a heart for God, that implies and necessitates regeneration. You can't have a heart for God and not be regenerate. Right? I'm on safe... Orthodox grounds when I say that. I don't want any stones uh, being hurled at me as I get in the car. To, to <laughs> I want to make sure you you think I'm right. In Kentucky, it's not stones. It's... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's a hint. hint. Uh, Pastor wave hinting and say, well, Mac, I don't know if you're right or not. Great job. But... The Old Testament teaches that the saints of God were regenerate. Okay? Because regeneration is the giving of a new heart, the putting of God's Spirit within us, and you're a new creature. That's why you have 
the Old Testament community of God, majority of them didn't know the Lord. They were just Jews. But the remnant within Israel were those who truly knew the Lord. Now this is why Hebrews says, quoting Jeremiah, in the New Covenant, there won't be any more where the neighbor is saying to his neighbor, know the Lord, know the Lord, for you'll all know Me. That's the mark of the New Covenant. So, um, so you have this um, reality of the Spirit of God at work in, in every believer. But the, Luke eleven thirteen says, if you, disciples, believers, being evil, being fallen and, and finite and limited and still sinful, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, I have six children and ten grandchildren. My wife knows how to give good, wise gifts to all of them. I'm not the gift buyer. So, if we being evil know how to give gifts, good gifts to our children, how much more will your Father in Heaven... You already have the Spirit. Give the Holy Spirit to those who are seeking Him. What does that mean? How can you get more of the Spirit if you have the Spirit in you? It's more of His power and more of His presence. More of His anointing. More of His fullness. And we're to be asking for that. So, alright, let me hurry on. Mark of revival. Uh, Godliness in Christians is accelerated and increased. More joy, more boldness, more peace, more courage, more... Uh, freedom to speak the gospel. Personal evangelism has always been a struggle for me because I I didn't know how to build a bridge a lot of times, and then if I knew how, I didn't always have the courage to do it, so I'd blow it, and then I'd beat myself up. Tomlinson, you coward! You you little little you little coward! And I just condemn myself. So I've always prayed, Lord, give me moments and help me to do it. Help me to build a bridge. So we were on this trip to Britain and I was determined we took a bunch of John Blanchard ultimate questions, little and uh, on the trains, in the taxis. I just said, I'm gonna do it. I'm not gonna see these people anymore. What do I have to be afraid of? So we struck up, Lord help us. And we saw several times the people struck up a conversation. A 75-year-old man on a train in, in England, he heard our accent on the train platform, and he said, where are you from in America? We said, Texas. He said, I've been there. And he starts talking to us, follows us in the train, sits down by us, and he starts talking, pouring out his life history. And we're listening. And I'm planning and plotting. <laughs> I pull out an ultimate question. I set it down. And then, and then he finally says, what do you do? And I said, well, for 50 years, I've taught the Bible. I teach the Bible. And, and I speak to people about, about the Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, that the Bible is all about. I had my Bible there and 
and on the table. And so he, he said, I go to church. And so I nodded and then, so I said, do you know what the message of the Bible is about? So we're nearing the train station. He's going to get off and we get a little more in. And I gave him the booklet and I, and I said, if, if you go to church, I think I asked him if it was an Anglican or whatever. I think it was. And I said, this booklet teaches what the Anglican church used to teach in Britain. J.C. Rawl, etc. And I said, this is the message of salvation and about Jesus Christ. Will you read it? And he said, I will. And he took it and he got off. In the next train, I don't want to belabor this. I'm just talking about the fact that God will give you courage to share. He will. And it's not, it's not rocket science. Young couple, he's a professor. He's from Chile. His wife is from Brazil. She can speak uh, Spanish and Portuguese. He can speak a number of languages. They're on the train with their daughter and they smile and then we comment on their daughter and we start talking 30 minutes. And what do you do? I'm a professor. What do you teach? I didn't even understand what he taught. I didn't. And are you? well, we're on holiday. That's their word for vacation. And he said, what do you do? And I already had, a, I had one on the table. And I said, well, for 50 years, I, I teach the Bible. I don't tell him I'm a minister. I don't tell him I'm a pastor. I say, I teach the Bible. I've done that for 50 years. And he said, I said, have you ever read the Bible any at all? He said, my parents, he said, yeah, I was a Baptist in Chile. I went, whoa, all right. Now we're going to get somewhere. <laughs> so he said, and then he said, my parents were leaders in the church. And then the church blew up and my parents were so wounded they divorced and I never went back to church after that. So I pulled out this and I said, look, this right here. I said, do you remember anything you learned in the Baptist church? Oh yes, I, I remember the major things. And I said, then this... This is what your Baptist church in Chile believed, probably. And this is the truth. Will you read it? And he said, I will. He takes it, and then we have another 30 minutes, and I'm over here reading and I'm glancing over, and he's reading it, and we're praying for him. My point is, we don't really need to ask God somehow for special opportunities. We need to be open to them, and we need to grab hold of the ones we, we get. I'll be in restaurant often and the server will come and I'll maybe have a Bible and I'll say, well, I'm just having, I'm having my morning breakfast. How are you, sir? I'm having some, my morning breakfast. Well, the food's not yet on the table, so they know I'm talking about this. And they said, are you a pastor? And I'll say, I'm a Christian. You know why I say that? Because of their presupposition that only pastors read the Bible. I'm a Christian. Oh, really? What are you reading there? Well, I'm reading the Psalms. I said, have you ever read the Bible? No, I never really have. I used to. 
When I was a teenager, I read it all the time. But what do you think the message of the Bible is? If you, if you summed it up, what's the message of the Bible? They usually don't know. They might say, well, be good, you know, and uh, love your neighbors yourself and, and treat, treat your animals right. And, and, you know, that is biblical. Remember a verse about that? The righteous man regards the life as a beast. But ultimately, I'm, have, I'm heading toward this. You know, the Bible says many things, but listen, Bill. The message of this book is God, there's one true God. He made you. You know He did. Your conscience tells you He did. You and I are accountable to Him. We'll give an account to Him because we've sinned. But you know what He did? He sent His Son from heaven, Jesus Christ, to save you from your sin, to save me from my sin. And His love is available to anyone who will turn to Him in sincerity and repent. Have you ever heard this message? And then I, I close the loop and I give them a track. And uh, it's not hard to share the Gospel, but it's challenging to share the Gospel. So if you don't know how, sometimes just work up the courage and in some setting, just say, would you mind if I took two minutes to tell you what God has done for me? You can tell them this. You know, I was a really, I was a vile, selfish person, and I, I didn't, I hated God. I wanted nothing to do with God. And you know what He did for me? I came to see how self-centered and sinful I was, and I realized two things: I was in great need of God. And there was a great Savior. And He had mercy on me. I called out on Him. He had mercy on me. He's forgiven my sins. I said that in about 40 seconds there. You can double it. And you can get the Gospel to Him and say, have you ever considered that at all? I really haven't. Well, if I brought you something back to read this week, would you read it? Yeah. So... Anyway, the Spirit of God will give you courage to share when you don't have it before. All right, let me, let me wrap this up. Another mark of revival is um, increased, empowered evangelism. I just talked about that, but it's in my notes here, not back there. So, <laughs> forgive me. I'm left-handed, so... <laughs> Increased empowered evangelism always happens when there's a moving of the Holy Spirit. Always an overflowing revival. People who weren't touched before are now touched. The Spirit comes and the work is expanded. Church outreach, Acts 6, verse 7, multiplies exceedingly. Um, and many are added to the church. Um, end of Acts 2, the last thing it says, and the Lord added to the church such as were being saved. So brethren, revival is God's work. And He ha- He must do it. And there are set times and seasons in any nation or a state or a county. He's, he's going to do it. But He uses our prayers to bring that about. Amen. So...
Um, it's ever right, always right, to be praying what Isaiah did in 64. Oh Lord, uh, come down. Just come down. Or what, what Habakkuk prayed. Uh, Lord, I've, I've, uh, I've seen Your work and I'm afraid judgment is coming. Mm-hmm. It's here. But oh Lord, in wrath remember mercy. And revive Your work in the midst of the years. So may God help us to pray effectively for revival. Well, let me pray and then I'll turn it over. Lord, just thank You for this meditation. Uh, I think I went too long, but we trust it was what You wanted to give us. So help us to apply this and just help us to know the reality in our minds and hearts of, of what revival is, what reformation is. And teach us to pray for ongoing reformation and teach us to pray for seasons of refreshing from Your presence. Thank You for Your truth, Lord, and for Your Word. For the glory of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen.